Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. We interview world-class influencers, celebrities, and elite entrepreneurs. And I thank you for joining us. We broadcast every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America's Influencers Channel. And you can listen to all of our shows on your Android or Apple device. Go to TonyDurso.com slash mobile and get the app. TonyDurso.com slash mobile. Before we get going, here's a big thank you to some amazing sponsors of our show. And please stay tuned for an important message from Select Quote if you're thinking about life insurance or would like to know more about it. More info on them just ahead, so please stay tuned. Today's show is with John Kramer and Kevin Williams, The Flow and Trusting Your Gut. All right, here's some info on John Kramer. John is Vice President of The Flow North America, where he leads and manages business strategy and implementation. Based in the UK and with US headquarters in Detroit, The Flow is one of the world's leading providers of device agnostic telematic solutions for the auto insurance industry. And we're going to explain what that all means in just a moment. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on with us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. Great to uh, have some time to chat with you. John, this is a very interesting subject, and I'm so curious because I really don't know very much about it. And I'm piqued by what you do and how you do and how you got into it. But first things first, I'd love to know, John, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Yeah, so uh, interestingly enough, when I was a young man, I thought I was going to be a musician. Um, (laughs) And uh, when I realized I couldn't get health insurance as a musician, I decided, you know what, maybe I better go to college and focus on something a little bit more... uh, lucrative and, and stable. And uh, actually, I went to uh, college, was, I thought I was going to be an English teacher. Um, and my first job out of college was a, uh, I worked as a car salesman. Car salesmen's lives, if you aren't familiar with them, can be rather uh, trying. Uh, there are lots of long hours, uh, lots of deadlines, lots of drive and lots of sales and can, can be a little crazy. Um, and a college roommate of mine said, hey, man, uh, we've got an opening on my team to work in insurance. Would you be interested? So I had no idea about insurance, had no interest in insurance, but I thought, you know what? One, I've never met a poor insurance salesman. The other thing is, two, I know that insurance people typically don't work on the weekends and on holidays. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go into insurance. I'm going to see what I can do. Lo and behold, I I worked in insurance uh, for a top 10 insurance provider for the better part of 10 years. And through that time, I actually found that I loved what I was doing. You know, there's a, there's a bit of nobility in insurance that uh, I, I really find uh, is pretty awesome because you have an opportunity to make people whole on the worst possible times that they have, uh, you know, if a person has a claim. But my last role at the insurance company that I was working with was uh, in, uh, for telematics. They asked me to be a project manager, a product manager, excuse me, uh, for a telematics product. And telematics, very loosely defined, is using sensor data to collect uh, information about how, when, where, and how much a person drives. Okay. Um, so this was very early days and, and, uh, the hiring manager said to me, would you be interested in applying for this? And I said, you know what, yeah, let me, let me see what I can do. Did it for the better part of four years and fell in love with the industry. Um, and 
with a, a couple of uh, life changes, as it were, uh, I found that I've been working in this space now for the better part of eight years um, and uh, am now working for uh, one of the uh, telematics leaders here in the United States of America and actually globally as well, which is a company called The Flow. Uh, so it's funny, funny how it all starts. You know, you think that you're going to be on MTV at the age of 18, but then realize, uh, you know, your friend gets a uh, super glue in his eye and <laughs> you realize how important insurance and stability is. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of where it came from for me. That's very interesting. I almost expected you to say that instead of being a musician, you went into being a waiter or you went into the food industry or something. It just seems to be sometimes <laughs> what they do. So that was very interesting. Yeah, that would have been the next natural progression if uh, <laughs> if I didn't realize uh, that uh, there are other opportunities out there, that's for sure. Yeah. And now for the audience, the we're going to talk about the flow and the site, because I'm going to spell it as the, that's T-H-E, flow is F-L-O-O-W.com. There's two O's, theflow.com. And before we get into this, this is where you work now. I know you define telematics, but it's like, huh, what? Can we get more information so it can make more sense to us? Absolutely. Uh, I, so I'm going to simplify it. And I'm going to use some common, uh, or I should say popular, products that are out there. And the one product I always reference is, if you're familiar with Progressive Insurance and the Snapshot application or the Snapshot device, Progressive actually started insurance telematics, oh gosh, better part of 20 years ago now. And basically what they did was they realized that you can pull data off of a vehicle through sensors, right? So the way that Progressive did this in the early days was they actually put a little piece of technology, it's called a dongle, into the OBD2 port of cars. The OBD2 port, for your benefit and your listeners' benefit, Tony, is the diagnostic port. It's about, uh, it's usually underneath the dash. So if you get that mysterious check engine light, you know, your mechanic will stick something in there and be able to pull information out of there, usually uh, DTC codes or diagnostic trouble codes, so that, you know, they can say, all right, you know, your, your gas cap is loose or your O2 sensor is wrong or, God forbid, you need a new transmission or something like that. But that little port had a lot of data. And it allowed insurance companies to understand how people actually drive. So if you think about the way insurance is done currently without telematics, we're kind of thrown into a pool, right, based upon demographic data, right? Um, so you're put into, uh, you know, age, gender, marital status, zip code, what type of vehicle you drive, and, and of course, your driving history. But the question was, can or is it possible for the riskiest driver, let's say an 18-year-old male, to drive like a 45-year-old married man? And, and the answer is definitively, yes, you can do that. But the problem is there was no way to get that type of information out. So Progressive in the early days used the OBD2 device, pulled that data, started collecting that data. The data would be transmitted via cellular network to their servers, and then they would rate drivers based on how, the, how they drive. Fast forward today, we're at, a, we're at a place where we obviously have connected cars, which are able to provide that type of data. Also, your cell phone is a super powerful sensor and has a lot of that key data elements in it as well. Um, so ho hopefully that uh, kind of explained the, the science behind it and kind of demystified it for you. It does a little bit. So if I understand this, the telematics in terms of the vehicle part, which I think is where we're going to go with this interview, it, yes. it can let the company know how the driver drives. And I've seen some of your little demos, how the driver drives. Does he drive really fast? Does he hit that accelerator very quickly? Does he brake mm -hmm. a lot? Does he speed? Does he jerk the steering wheel? Things like that, right? 
That's correct. You got you got it. And basically, all that they're, all we're trying to do is assess how risky a driver is behind the wheel. That's the sweet spot. That's all that we're trying to do. And I want to address that, but before I do, how is this so different? What your company does in terms of telematics? How is it so different compared to what's already out there in the marketplace? Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, there's two. Actually, I should say there's three key points. So the first thing is the company. The flow uh, with two O's, as you kindly pointed out. You know, we started out very uh, early on with a mission, a simple mission, which is to make mobility safer and smarter for all. Okay, and knowing that, what we realized was there's a there's an aspect of how do you make a person safer, and that's really understanding what causes risky behavior or or what is risky behavior, and then how you can change that. So the flow in and of itself is a little bit different than, you know, maybe even some of our competitors or some of the things that are out there in that we actually harness social science to help influence and, and change behavior to, so people become safer. So that's one of the ways that we do things a little bit differently from a perspective of how we do things compared to competitors in this space. Uh, the flow is actually a device agnostic solution. So basically what that means, uh, Tony, is we can take sensor data from any number of sensors. I had mentioned the smartphone. I had mentioned an OBD2 dongle device. If you think about big over-the-road trucks, they have embedded black boxes. And then, of course, the, uh, the soon-to-be ubiquitous uh, connected car. All of these tor- types of data sources can be powerful sensors, and essentially we view ourselves as a refinery. So all we need is the crude data from whatever sensor there is, and we can extract information from that. So that's one of the other ways that makes us a little bit different. The third and final way that makes us different is our IP model. Um, and what that means is, so we provide services to insurance companies, right? Uh, we, we can provide the technology. We can provide uh, the data analysis. We can provide scoring algorithms. We can do scrubbing of data, all sorts of wonderful things. And we also have products that we can, we can uh, let them use. But the one thing is, in that traditional telematic service provider model, most insurance companies don't ever get to learn about the data that they're getting and aren't kind of shepherded through the process of understanding it. So one of the things that our, our company has done and, and decided this very early on, and it's fantastic, is we like to give insurance companies the opportunity to build their own unique intellectual property on top of our score. Um, so we have a score Customers can use that, but anything that's derived on top of that is their own unique IP, which is unique in this, in this market and uh, pretty appealing to an insurance company looking to uh, you know, be a little bit different than their competitors out there. Hope that answers your question. It does, and I have more questions based on that, which is fine. <laughs> and Great. forgive me if I ask something that you've already answered or perhaps if I do on something you've already commented, just give more information. But I want to understand this a little bit more. Does this make me safer when I drive? And if so, how does it make me safer? I, I'm not, I don't necessarily use your product. I want to talk about that. But does it make the average person on the road safer? Yes, it can. So here's the one side of it and uh, what I'll call usage-based insurance 1.0, uh, which is what most of the companies have out there now and then usage-based insurance 2.0. So 1.0 is just an assessment, assessment of risk based upon driving data, right? So I can say, you know, if we it, just to use an example, a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being perfect and, or 0 being the worst. We know that certain drivers are going to drive closer to 100 
certain drivers are going to drive closer to that zero, but most drivers are going to drive in that middle period there, right? And basically the way it works right now with usage-based insurance 1.0 is they simply say, you're a bad driver or you're a good driver. Here's your discount. And that's where it ends, right? And there is something to be said. There is a little bit of a halo effect that can occur when a person knows that they're being monitored and where and they're being, uh, their data is being recorded. And typically what we've seen is people will drive really safely in the beginning and then it starts to wane off after a bit of time just because, you know, the novelty is worn off. Usage-based insurance 2.0, and this is something that the flow does, and, and we've seen this happen, there's a lot of different ways that we can provide incentives to drivers to improve their behavior. So that's the key there, too. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, you're a bad driver, do this, and, and you'll become a better driver. There needs to be an incentive there, right? Safety, unfortunately, is not very sexy. It's important, but it's not very sexy. However, there are things, uh, you know, cues and, and triggers that, that customers can, can receive that makes it interesting and makes it sexy. One of the things that we do is uh, we offer rewards. Uh, so, for example, the safer you drive, the more points you accumulate. The more points you accumulate, you can then redeem those for Amazon gift cards or, or Starbucks cards. And in turn, you're developing long-term habits that are sustainable. So, yeah, the, the answer to your question is we can change behavior. And that's really the, the mission of the company is, you know, making the, that mobility safer and smarter for all. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with John Kramer and Kevin Williams, the flow and trusting your gut. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Hey guys, are you thinking about life insurance? Did you know the older you get, the more it costs? That's why locking in your rate for up to 10 or 20 years now makes sense. The rate you lock in won't change even if your health status does. And if you think you can't afford it, I'll bet you can. Chances are Select Quote can help you get it for less than a dollar a day. Select Quote's breakthrough technology allows them to quickly match you with the best insurance company to find your best policy. Plus, quotes are free. Guys, this is important stuff for your family and loved ones. Let Select Quote save you time and money. Get your free quote at selectquote.com/druso today. That's selectquote.com/druso for your free quote. Don't put off protecting your family another day. Selectquote.com slash Dierso. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to the Tony Dierso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDierso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with John Kramer and Kevin Williams, the flow and trusting your gut. In addition to his professional experience, John is a regular industry blogger and speaker and is featured in articles about the future of telematics and connected life. He's passionate about the win-win opportunities for insurers and consumers in the areas of safety health, and productivity. All right, and now back to the chat with John. 
Okay, John. So, so far, because your company helps make more people safe, it makes me safer, even though I'm not necessarily using your services, but there's safer drivers on the road. And that, of course, helps and impacts us. We don't have to go into the, uh, the accidents and the, and the other yeah. issues that happen on the road. So I see how that, like a domino effect, it just makes things better and better. Okay. Yeah, it's a, qual- it's a quality of life thing. Um, okay. You know, like I said, safety is not sexy, but if you think about it, and actually you live out in L.A., and goodness knows there's a little bit of traffic out there, right? Um, in fact, just to tell you a quick story here, uh, the last time I was out in L.A., I was driving on uh, the major north uh, to south highway, and I forget what one that is, but we were heading down towards uh, Orange County. And um, I passed a guy who had an iPad in the middle of his steering wheel, and he was watching something. I don't know what it was, but he was watching something, okay? Clearly, that's a risky bit of behavior. Um, and if that guy had an accident during that trafficy rush hour time that we were driving, imagine the, the kind of ripple effect that that causes, right? It's not just a matter of, you know, God forbid somebody loses a life, but there's also the inconvenience of road congestion and, and you know, traffic headaches and, oh, gosh, you know, the left lane's closed up here, so everybody's merging over, which, in fact, creates more risky behavior. So you're right. It, it, it is greater than just simply uh, making one driver safer, uh, which is important, but it, it in turn does, does kind of uh, translate out and ripple out for all. You know, that's a very interesting point, John, to deviate from this conversation for just a little bit. Every single time I drive, I think it's 100%. I spot and see people with erratic driving behavior. And if I do get a chance to see them up close, they're on their cell phone, perhaps seeing how many people like their Facebook post or something. I can't believe it. It's 100% of the time. And so you people are stopping at green lights and stopping when there's no vehicles. And then you, you get in the other lane, you go by them. They're on their cell phone. Can this system help detect that? I guess it can because it can detect how they drive, right? That's correct. And, and actually, you, you bring up a really amazing point here. You know, just to, just to give you some, some geeky statistics, because I told you I worked in insurance for 10 years, so you're not going to get off easy with just cool anecdotes about uh, the cool technology that we do. You're going to have to, unfortunately, listen to me, uh, you know, yammer on about statistics <laughs> a little bit. Um, you know, actually, the National Safety Council has estimated that automobile, automotive fatalities have topped 40,000 deaths for the second consecutive year. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And you actually uh, touched on that, Tony, which is, you know, all of these things are happening because there's increases to claim severity, there's increases to claims frequency, um, and, and just all sorts of madness. And the reason these things are happening, the one key reason that everybody keeps pointing to is driving while distracted. Distracted driving is, is considered to be, I mean, it's a scourge right now, um, you know, and it's really, really creating a lot of issues. Um, in fact, I think I, I remember a statistic, it was one in three accidents are caused by distracted driving, um, which is frightening. I mean, think, think of the, the quality of life we would have if, if, you know, people would actually put their damn phone down and pardon my French, but, you know, put the phone down and, and actually concentrate on their driving and, and reduce that distraction. So our organization in, in its infancy thought, well, what is the main cause of this? And, and, and I shouldn't say the cause of it, but the main tool of distraction you know, there's a lot of things that you can be distracted by, you know, fussing with the radio. I've seen guys shaving, uh, you know, even, even taking a phone call can be distracting. But the one thing is, it's, it's that mobile phone. 
And uh, we were one of the first companies out there to actually um, create a distraction score to show, you know, and, and to, uh, you know, help one show people that the distraction, in fact, does influence their safety. But also in our research, we've actually found that it's the single most predictive piece of information that we're recording with regards to predicting risk. So By true, far. so true. Well, I really want this product out there because it's frustrating. You're, you're in a 40 mile an hour zone and, and the person in front of you is doing 20 miles an hour and they keep breaking. Why? Because they're, they're texting. It's like, please pull over. All right. Yeah, the selfie can wait. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We won't even go into that anymore. Now, is the flow a device that's actually put in vehicles, John? Yeah, so actually the flow, um, as I had said, we're, we're device agnostic. So we don't manufacture devices, but we do create code that we can put and develop applications that can be put in the, into uh, smartphones. So we have a lot of different providers, and based on our insurance partners' needs, you know, we have a lot of different providers that can provide you know, devices. So you know, as I was talking about that dongle space, we're working with several partners here in the United States where they're using dongles. Uh, we're actually finding that it's more applicable for commercial lines insurance applications. So case in point, if I've got a fleet of five delivery vans, I own a flower shop and I have five delivery vans that deliver flowers around town. They want to be able to record that data from the device. We don't manufacture the device, but we have several uh, companies that we work with to provide that service to the customers. But we do manufacture and and develop mobile applications. Uh, In fact, we have a couple of them. Uh, We we do have uh, several ways that we can do that for our partners. Uh, The first, of course, is we have what's called FlowDrive which is an off-the-shelf white-labeled telematic solution. It includes all of those, those uh, scoring elements and attributes that we've developed. And one thing to say about our scores, too, is they were developed using actuarial science. They've been regressed against claims, and we know that they're super predictive. And just to give you an example, our flow score off-the-shelf, we know that it can predict risk very, very accurately. And what we found is the worst drivers, the lowest decile of drivers that we've recorded actually have an accident about every 18 months, every two years to 18 months, excuse me. Whereas we found that the best drivers actually have an accident about once every 20 years. And the, the interesting thing about that is too, if you think about that score, those lowest decile drivers are also the ones with the most severe accidents. So, you know, we, we do have that within our flow drive platform. We also have what's called flow kit which is an SDK. So if uh, an insurance company, as an example, had a mobile application and they wanted to provide an engine to record this type of information on their mobile application and be able to render information to the customer in terms of scoring and such, we can do that as well. We also have Flow Custom. And Flow Custom is a fully customized solution uh, using data from pretty much any source. Uh, you know, if somebody wanted a, a, you know, us to create a bespoke mobile application for them, we could do that uh, using our Flow Custom platform. And as I had mentioned, we also have Flow Fleet, which is a fleet-focused white-labeled telematic solution. One other thing that we have, too, is underneath that, we have, uh, I had mentioned our Flow Score, but we also have two other products that can be layered into these. One is the rewards platform, which I had talked about, which is a fully integrated online rewards program to encourage and reward safe driving. And we also have what's called Flow Coach, which is interestingly a telephone-based personal coaching program, which has been proven to improve scores and reduce accidents and claims. Um, so it's literally an outbound calling type of situation. So yeah, we've got a, we've got a lot of different things that we, could, uh, we can certainly provide. John, I love this. The world needs this now. Is there anything that the average person in the audience listening to this right now 
Is there anything that we can do to get this active? What do we have to call? Not call our congressman to be a little silly. We have to call our insurance company. How can we get this more more out there in the United States and, and other parts of the world? Sure, sure. So as, as I had said, we're a global company and we are working with many large insurance companies uh, throughout the world. In fact, um, I can tell you we're working with a California-based insurance company. We're working with a, a Detroit-based insurance company, some very uh, household brand uh, insurance companies that, uh, that we are um, supporting. So I would say that the average consumer needs to bring this up to their agents. Interestingly enough, so this is once again me putting on my insurance hat and tightening it up a little bit. So apologies for the, uh, the geekiness in advance. Interestingly enough, there, if, if you think about this, there is a, a bit of a bias that an agent will have with this. So if you call your agent and say, hey, I want this, you know, there is an aspect of, of privacy. Um, and, you know, to put it out there, people have a lot of opinions about privacy. Um, and if your agent particularly has an opinion that, uh, you know what, I don't want to necessarily, I don't want you to acquiesce this type of data to your insurance company, they may not offer it to you. Believe it or not, I've sat in front of agents who've said, I'm not offering this to my customers because I know better, because, you know, this is a violation of their, their, uh, their privacy, even though the customer has the opportunity to opt in or opt out. I digress. But the interesting thing is, you know, if customers were to actually go to their insurance company and say, hey, you know what, I'd really like this you'll start to see a proliferation of this. And just to give you a a bit of insight, nine of the top 10 insurance companies in the United States are offering programs like this. So it's out there. It just needs to be uh, looked into and and sought out. I love it. I think it's going to be a great help. And one last fast question. I happen to see that the flow got the HRH Prince Michael International Road Safety Award. I think that's amazing. Thank you. Yes. Um, very, very proud of that. And, and actually, you know, Tony, that's that to me and to, into our organization really is is the sign of what we're doing here. This is the Tony D'Urso show. Just ahead of the chat continues with John Kramer and Kevin Williams, the flow and trusting your gut. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You heard that a majority of businesses fail. Don't be a statistic. Get my book free, The Vision Map. Beat the odds for your business success. Get it free at TonyDurso.com slash vision. And set up your own successful vision map. Tony, D-U-R-S-O dot com slash vision. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDierso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with John Kramer and Kevin Williams, the flow and trusting your gut. All right, and now back to the chat with our guests. 
we want to save lives. We want to help people. We want to make people safer and smarter, you know, and we want to educate people to, to make better decisions when they're behind the wheel. And to have that type of award, um, and thank you for mentioning that, really, it, it validates everything that we're doing. And uh, actually, I would even say a, a greater validation is, you know, when we see a customer go from, you know, one of the worst uh, deciles of, of collection, and we see them move up into a safer profile, because that's actually something that's measurable and actionable, and, and we can put a value on that. Um, and that truly could be the value of life. So it's um, thank you for recognizing that and understanding and, and, and mentioning that. We're very proud of that. Fantastic indeed. Once again, this is John Kramer, Making Mobility Safer. I love the concept. It's not a concept. I love the the concept that it provides of safe driving. And it's almost like a little bit of artificial intelligence out there in its embryonic stage. And it can help us drive so much better and safer. I like it. Check it out, everyone. The website is theflow.com. That's T-H-E-F-L-O-O-W.com. And ask your insurance company and anyone else that's involved in vehicles to, to see because it'll make you and your family safer. And of course, I already know being a driver, all drivers think that they're great and they're wonderful. So how about if you helped push this along to help your family be safe and your kids and their kids be safe? Because of course, we as, you know, we're all the best drivers in the world ourselves, right? A little joke there. Well, I'll tell you, there's, a, there's something to be said about that. So we did, um, did some research in, in my former life, and we found that the vast majority of drivers consider themselves as above average. Um, and, and interestingly enough, that's not true. <laughs> so <laughs> everybody can't be above average. Uh, so everybody does have some opportunity to improve in their driving. Correct. But they think they're above average. So if only to help their family and their kids and their friends drive better. This is something that can help because we certainly don't want all these distractions there while people are driving machinery of several tonnage up and down the roads at high speeds. We just have to, we have to do something about it. Would you like a job? I love it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, John. It was wonderful. And yes, sure. We'll uh, put some of your commercials on our show. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And please, when you have an update or something additional or new on top of this, please come back. We'd like to, we, we would love an update. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. It was a true honor. My pleasure. It was great. Thank you. And now we have Kevin Williams join us. Kevin is the global marketing and operations executive who has a deep understanding of new social entrepreneurship. One of the founders of Brush Hero, he recently appeared on Shark Tank, leaving the tank with two offers on the table. Welcome to the show, Kevin. It's so great to have you on. Thank you so much, Tony. It's great to be here. Kevin, I am very interested in finding out what trusting your gut is all about. And I know there's some really great stuff here. We're going to talk about Shark Tank, what happened there, which nobody's going to believe. So forget that. But first things first, Kevin, I'd love to know, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? I have a traditional business background um, after uh, business school. I uh, started my first company um, back in 2006. I managed to win a business plan competition, which sort of derailed my original plans. But what it did is it got me introduced to the angel community and the venture capital community in Washington, D.C. 
that led to a series of engagements in uh, startup companies in the D.C. area. Um, I was generally an operations executive that the board would call on to help uh, straighten out a, a company that needed help, uh, get it ready for a large round of funding. Um, and uh, sadly, sometimes I was the guy that they would call to shut things down, uh, particularly in the 2008 sort of range. Um, what I really recognized going through that process and going through a number of different startups, usually startups that had many, many millions of dollars that had been invested, uh, was that that people had put a lot of money between behind ideas that they hadn't fully vetted out, that they hadn't really tested. And I started to develop a thesis for how I might be able to test new business concepts using social media. And so I did. Um, I was a little bit tired of working for other people. And uh, I started coming up with concepts for testing uh, individual product ideas or business ideas using social media and spending as little time as I possibly could on it. Um, sort of jokingly, I started to call this the mini MVP. We hear about minimum viable product um, has, has been a real hot topic for a number of years now, but this is a mini vi minimum viable product. This is taking not actually a viable product, but a product idea and putting it in front of a likely audience and seeing if they care. And if they do care, I have some data that I could get rolling with and uh, see if, uh, if I have uh, a real product in my hand. About the same time, I bumped into uh, an old CEO of mine. Uh, his name's Glenn Archer. He's still in the, in the D.C. area. And uh, he had a license opportunity on this crazy uh, continuously variable transmission that was powered by water that at the end of the day was a spinning brush. And the spinning brush became Brush Hero. And uh, I employed my methodology for testing. And sure enough, we put this idea in front of people and quickly discovered that the right marketplace for it was probably the automotive community. So it's this, uh, this brush that hooks up to your hose and uh, it helps you clean the wheels of your car. So as opposed to banging up your knuckles, you can use water power to keep your wheels clean. We put this idea on Facebook, and uh, we had almost 7% uh, of people who landed on our very basic um, landing page actually clicked on an Add to Cart button. That Add to Cart button, but at that point, didn't actually go anywhere. It just went to a sign-up page for an email. And uh, then we knew that we had, uh, we had something. We licensed the product, and we started rolling with it. That is really interesting. And, you know, a long time ago, and I mean long, decades, there was a similar product, and I remember my someone in the family getting that product, where it was a brush or something that would spin with from the power of the water hose. And I'm telling you, water got everywhere; it just <laughs> splashed with high intensity, and it was so powerful and strong. It was just like it was just never used again. Now I've seen the videos, and I've gone through the brush arrow, and not to take your thunder, I'll let you describe it, but it is so different than anything imaginable and you make people go how come this wasn't invented before it's so it's such a no-brainer sometimes but it's such a cool product yeah i think it's a great product too. uh not to not to get a little bit geeky on it but there's often a trade-off in mechanical engineering between uh revolutions as in rpm or force as in torque and what we realized is that we could produce uh, uh rpms Pretty easily with a with a spray of water, 
But RPMs are not what you're after. You really need force to clean things. And that's where this piece of intellectual property came in. And it's absolutely phenomenal stuff, to be honest. It's a, there's a brilliant mind who's behind it. Uh, it has to do with the folding properties of water. But it, uh, it does what it's supposed to do. And I am absolutely a believer in products that I can stand behind. You're never going to see me try and sell something that uh, doesn't have uh, intrinsic value. I love it. And for our audience, this is not an infomercial on the Brush Harrow. But it is so cool. And when you look at it from the standpoint of marketing and learn from what they've done, which we're going to talk about a little bit more, there are lessons here used in your business or anything. And there's, that site is Brush Hero, BrushHero.com. Check it out, the videos. This thing is just a badass device. It's just clean that car, especially those rims. My wife and I, we have deep, and we love washing our vehicles ourselves. For whatever reason, it's, it's just the thing. It just seems to get cleaner and, and be better to our standards when we do it ourselves. And something like the Brush Hero just completes that to really get those rims as as crazy or geeky as it may be. But I'm going to go take it back to you and have you tell us a little bit more about this. And also tell us, you've made this a virtual management company. I'd like to hear more of the story. Sure. Um, well, to be clear, Brush Hero isn't isn't the only brand that we have. Uh, our objective wasn't just to, to, to take one product and launch it, although that's really of what we've done, it was to develop a framework that we could use to acquire other brands and successfully launch them in this new commerce uh, that, that we're seeing these days. Um, develop the retail skills, the direct-to-consumer skills, uh, social media, uh, the logistics capacity, uh, international capacity for international fulfillment, etc. Um, I've never been afraid of things that are complicated. In fact, it's definitely one of my skills is that I can, I can roll through very complicated things and make some sense out of them. Uh, but we developed a, a framework for investing in, in these concepts, and they required several different components. Um, one is that the product had to be in some way, shape, or form protectable. That means that it had an existing brand that had uh, value to it, or it had a patent set, as this uh, particular item did, um, or some other mode or barrier to entry. The next is that the product had some sort of consumable element to it. Um, I have learned over time that acquiring customers only gets more expensive during a brand arc, so I want to make a, a lifelong relationship with my customers if I can. And the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is if the product has a need to touch the customer frequently. So in the case of the Brush Hero, it has the brushes themselves, which are very durable, but uh, they do wear down over time and they need to come back to me to get more brushes or brush accessories. Uh, we also developed a line of soaps that go with the product. So there's that sort of consumable element to it as well. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with Kevin Williams. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. This segment of today's show is with Kevin Williams, who will tell us more about trusting our gut. And now, back to the chat. Next, products have to have uh, what I like to call a universe of accessories. So other things that I can sell along with the product that, that complete that customer's need. So in this case, it's microfiber towels or um, it's extension wands, um, other product extensions that I can do. And I think possibly most importantly, given the way that uh, a lot of these e-commerce companies like me market, is the product has to have some sort of natural geniality to it. Um, there has to be a story that I can tell, that I can tell visually or I can tell through video that makes sense to consumers and, and makes them want to engage with the brand. Uh, the brush, you have a dirty wheel, you have a clean wheel. It's kind of great. You, have, you could do a before and after. Uh, we have a, a cooking product line. And in that case, the inventor behind the product is actually one of the White House cooks. So uh, the last four presidents have eaten off of that device. And that's a story that we can talk to, that this is a Michelin-trained chef who works in the White House kitchens, and he cooks chickens on this device. So you too, consumer, can get a hold of that device. The topic of our talk here is trusting your gut. And I believe that that is where Shark Tank comes in, because you just left money on the table and didn't take apparently a good deal. Well, I say apparently because I don't know the deal. So could you just tell us the whole thing? What's that whole story? I do want to, I do want to clarify just a little bit because I cheat when it comes to trusting my gut. The Shark Tank story is a little bit different, but I am a very data-oriented person. And I believe that we are in a unique period in commerce where there is so much information that's available and can be obtained very, very early in a product life cycle that can allow you to make decisions that aren't just based on your gut. They're based on, on real information that's coming from real customers that you can look at and really then feel comfortable with going with your gut, if that's fair. In the case of Shark Tank, that is uh, that was an adventure unto itself. Um, we grew very rapidly. The company started in, 2000, in late 2015 and was very heavily focused on uh, direct response advertising, uh, specifically Facebook video advertising. So we developed content, uh, genial content that has the before and after sort of screens. I, I won't call it informa- infomercial, but it was sort of infomercially, that's okay. And uh, we started to get attention from people. And uh, some folks suggested that we apply to Shark Tank and we found some channels for applying to them. Um, The whole process took almost eight months um, of back and forth and interviews and videos and, and all kinds of things that you hear about these companies going through. And right up until the end, we had no idea whether we were going to fly out And then they flew us out. And then once they flew us out, we had no idea whether or not we were going to film. And we were on set for several days and had no idea. And 
Then we filmed. And then once we filmed, we had no idea whether or not we were going to air because they, they as, as most folk know, they, they film a lot more episodes than they actually use. Um, not all the stories are good. So you don't know if you've gone through all of that agony and all of that stress only to have yourself end up on a cutting room floor somewhere. As far as the experience itself, I, I liken it to, uh, to being loaded into a rifle and shot down a hallway. Um, <laughs> I, we're all familiar with the show and that, that hallway. It's long. And maybe in my imagination, it's gotten even longer. But I swear we were walking down that thing for minutes and minutes. And there are like sharks, shark tanks on either side. And it's freezing. Uh, for anybody who has ever been on a, on a, a production set, uh, the lighting is very, very hot, so they keep the ambient temperature of the studio itself really, really low. So it's about 55 degrees inside, and the doors swing open, and you step forward, and there's dead silence for a period of time as they get everything ready. And then it just starts. And I've spent a lot of my career in and out of uh, pitches with investors and with boards and all kinds of things, and I've never seen anything quite like this. They're five. They're they're up there, and they have two different agendas. The one agenda is that they legitimately know nothing about your business, and I want to make this totally clear. They go to huge lengths that I can't really describe to disguise your business from the sharks. Most people think that, oh, of course they get a briefing on it. Doesn't that make sense? If you were a VC, of course you'd get a briefing on the businesses you're going to see. No, they don't get anything. They disguise your name. It's completely cold. So they have roughly an hour to decide whether or not they're going to make a, make a significant investment in your company. So that's important. They need to get these details out on the, on the floor as thoroughly as they possibly can. And then there's the more important factor, which is its entertainment. They need to be funny. They need to be engaging. It might be at your expense. It might be at each other's expense. But they have to come up with things that make them sound funny to the audience and engaging to the audience so they can build their personal brand. And they're all sort of stumbling over each other. Not stumbling's not fair, but they're all they're all sort of fighting against each other to get the limelight. And you you certainly don't see it in the production cut, but they're all talking at the same time. So I found myself in this very strange position where I had to say, excuse me, Mr. Cuban, can you please let Lori finish? <laughs> And you, you just have to manage them up there and you have to get your message out. The 30, the 30 second pitch of what is this product? It's a, it's a real viable product. It's a real viable audience. And uh, there's, there's value to you, the shark, to do this. You know, the episode was in January of 2018 uh, is when it aired. Uh, it filmed in 2017. It takes a while for, for it to percolate through the system. And uh, it went pretty well for us, I think. Uh, we ended up with um, offers from both um, Damon and Lori that, uh, that were, it was $500,000 for 25% of the company was the individual offer that each was offering. And then they did their uh, thing where they were sort of battling against each other. And we made the critical error. And the critical error on the shark tank, as everyone knows, is you never leave the tank. And we left the tank. And when we left the tank, everything went sideways. Uh, Robert got involved in the conversation, and Robert is sort of the de, de facto car guy in the group. And he had a perspective on the device that didn't 
really make that much sense. He had a memory of the sort of device that you were describing, Tony, of water flowing through a brush and water flying all over the place. And it uh, degraded the uniqueness of the product and created risk in the shark's minds. Um, and that he had uh, credibility within the group. And meanwhile, we were in the tank and we couldn't go back in because of filming requirements. And I could hear it going sideways out there. And I wanted to scramble out there and say, Robert, no, you're wrong. I don't want to be a jerk either. You can either be good, endearing entertainment, or you can be bad guy entertainment. And if you're the guy who starts yelling at the sharks, guess what sort of entertainment you're going to end up? Not so good. And Kevin, I want to ask, there was no video? Because if you look at the video, it's such a no-brainer how easy it is to use, how simple. It, the, oh, this was sort of a nightmare, too. It's that uh, if... If you were to watch it again, they'd hooked the device up to a hose that was almost 300 feet long, and it ended up with an air bubble in it. And as I'm starting to demonstrate it, uh, there's this panicked look on my face as the device just stops turning in front of all the sharks. And I could see, I could hear the production team laughing, like, no, my device has broken in front of the sharks. Uh, but they were so nice about it. I, I really give Lori in particular credit. She clearly recognized exactly what had happened. She rolled right through it. She was game to go up there and try it. And that that's a good observation that the two who gave us offers, uh, Damon and Lori, were the two who actually tried it and they actually felt the force of it in cleaning. And it, it is that sort of product that needs to be experienced in order to be converted. Very interesting. And how embarrassing for that air bubble well, we had an offer. So when we left, uh, Damon rescinded his offer. Um, I think Robert had really influenced him. And Lori changed the dynamics of her offer. It had gone from a 25% stake for $500,000, so a $2 million valuation, to $250,000 equity and $250,000 as a line of credit at 7%, which was remarkably precise for her to just do off the cuff. But that left the company with a valuation of $1 million. And you can see the agony on my face. I clearly want, they took some liberties with editing. They're allowed to do whatever they want. But uh, you could see that I, uh, between my partner and I, really, really wanted to take the deal. I'm the operator. I'm the CEO. I, I saw it as an opportunity to really accelerate our penetration into retail. But before we walked out there, we made an agreement. We shook hands and we said that the most we'll take, well, the most that we'll sell of the company for this $500,000 is 20%. We probably still would have taken the 25% in just the heat of the moment. But when the valuation declined that much, it just no longer made sense. Um, we also had some information that we weren't really allowed to talk about on the on stage involving purchase orders with Costco. So we had several million dollars of orders that we knew was going to happen that we couldn't really talk about yet. So we knew the company was worth far more than that and giving away that much of it when the valuation was uh, objectively quite a bit harder, higher was hard. Now, that said, we missed an opportunity and the opportunity was to broker a deal between both of them. And this is sort of Shark Tank dynamics, and maybe we should have spent more time watching more episodes, even though we watched hundreds. Had we been a little bit quicker on our feet and perhaps a little bit less nervous, uh, the right deal to make and the deal that would have been worth it would have been to split the investment between Damon and Lori, because then we would have had two of these guys on our side. And Lori, with her penetration into Bed Bath & Beyond and uh, QVC, 
and Damon with his sourcing expertise, there could have been real value with having those guys involved in the company. And uh, neither of them would have had such a large chunk. I get it, Kevin. Very interesting story. So what happened to your company afterward? There's good and bad here, <laughs> as we were chatting about a little bit earlier. Uh, it aired in January. And if you, uh, you know, when you're cleaning your Jeeps, I'm imag I imagine you don't do it when it's really cold outside. So that wasn't ideal for us. Um, it was fun to watch the spike of traffic to our site. We had tens of thousands of people on the site uh, for those, uh, for the airings when they, when they occurred. Um, and we, of course, sold quite a few units in that time. Uh, it gave us a great deal of legitimacy when we were talking with major retailers. Um, it, it certainly helped with Costco sales. Um, we're now entering our third season at Costco. Um, Costco's summer season is short. It'll run from mid-February until June, but uh, we'll be in almost every Costco this year again, which is great. Uh, also in discussion, well, we're placed in Walmart right now as well um, and talking to lots of other retailers. And being able to whip out the uh, Shark Tank thing has helped. It really has. Uh, they, they're able to watch it. They, they get sort of a sense of it. Um, it's helped. We also have a high brand relevance as far as our online sales. Um, we find that uh, Amazon in particular, there are lots of people when they run across our advertisement, advertisements, uh, just scoot on over to Amazon and do a search for our brand and buy the product over there. So that's great. On the negative side, the sharks and you all weren't the only ones watching the show. The Chinese were also watching the show. And within only five weeks of airing, we had our first counterfeit version of the product. And at this point, we have five known factories in China that are producing pure counterfeits. And I want to make clear that this product is actually manufactured with uh, parts from the UK, from Germany, from Wisconsin, and then it's assembled in Salt Lake City. So it has, an, it has a made in America origin on it. And uh, it's not made in China. This is not our own factory that's making it out the back door. These are actually new factories that are producing it independently. And uh, they weren't just clones either. They just stole our copyrighted images. They stole our trademarks. They even put our customer service number and patent numbers right on the packaging. Oh so the patent. Yep. So we found out about it because upset customers started calling us. And it was horrendous that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were getting these calls about brushes shooting off and the things stopped turning and this one shattered and this one just smelled bad and oh, whatnot. No. And we could not figure it out. So we started buying our own product from Amazon. And what had happened is the Chinese had gotten their fake version of it into our Amazon product listing. So people thought they were buying a real one and were receiving a cheap knockoff of our product. And they did the natural thing. They left a one-star review behind uh, on Amazon, and uh, about 150 of those in a row. Cause, oh, uh, my. Not to bash Amazon, please, but this is exactly why my wife refuses to buy anything from them. She says, just too many knockoffs, and I don't do all the shopping like she does, and I'm going, knockoffs? What knockoffs? And now you tell me this story is like, oh, my goodness. Is it crazy. is it's rampant. It is absolutely rampant, and it has been enormously damaging to our business and other businesses like ours. I definitely have a love-hate re relationship with Amazon. I do believe that it is the, um, the, the winner in uh, the online uh, marketplace wars, but it's encouraging 
these sort of counterfeits. And it's been very, very difficult for us to make forward progress and clean it out. Uh, to date, since airing, we have taken down, that's uh, for from an intellectual property perspective, so either a trademark violation, copyright, or copyright violation, 8,000 individual listings on what? Amazon, 8,000. Oh my goodness, sorry that's to interrupt you, 8,000? Yes, I was oh. looking at the numbers the other day. That's not just Amazon. I that is eBay. eBay is the worst by far, but it's eBay International, so eBay Brazil or India. It's individual e-commerce stores that are shipping directly from China, so they use the, what's called e-packet, which is a taxpayer subsidized um, postal rates from China to ship directly to um, U.S. customers. So they advertise our brand. They price it super super low. And then they ship directly from China. It actually costs, uh, if I were to ship uh, one of the products to you in California, it would cost me around $5 to go through the postal system. For a Chinese counterfeiter to ship a fake version of my product to you, it would cost them $2.80. Oh my goodness. Kevin, our audience must be wondering, how can they actually find, buy, observe real product? Is that only going by only going to brushhero.com? It's funny. If I, hopefully folks are actually doing Google searches. You'll see that our metadata on our website says beware of counterfeiters so that people are aware that counterfeiters are out there. At this point, buying directly from us or buying from uh, our Amazon listing and uh, the Brush Hero Amazon listings will show up as sold by Brush Hero and ships by Amazon. So we keep inventory at the Amazon warehouses and we ship from there. We've been going through lots of tactical exercises to clean out the counterfeits that were in the system, but it was, um, it was very damaging. So Amazon lives and breathes based on sales velocity and review ratings. So the faster an object sells and the higher it's reviewed, the more likely it is to float above the rest of the foam and uh, be seen by consumers. And when we started to get these negative reviews, our rankings within Amazon sank. We'd still, of course, sell people who search for Brush Hero, but if people who were searching for wheel cleaner, um, wheel detailer, wheel brush, things like that, we suddenly wouldn't appear in, appear in the rankings anymore because Amazon viewed us as an inferior product because our reviews were so impaired. That's been a long, painful process to pull ourselves out of that pit. And um, it was really quite sobering. I, I am an optimist. I think uh, to be uh, an entrepreneur, you, you need to be an optimist. But uh, my optimism has been uh, truly tested over the last few months. So that, that I didn't mean to go on longer on the negative side than the positive, because the positives do outweigh the negatives, I, I, I think. Um, it's a great product. Yeah, it is a great product. If you get it from the right company, I wonder, does it does it work where you see this on social media profiles official, you know? Does it help to say put some word there so that people know that they're buying the official brush arrow? Uh, yes, we use that terminology definitely. Um, we also on Amazon we use a we use a new mark of authenticity, where every individual unit has its own um, coded identifier. That makes it very hard for fakes to sneak into the mix. But that's a very new program on Amazon, and it's taken over six months for us to get it into place. So we don't really know how that's going to play out. But theoretically, that should keep fakes from creeping into the system and give consumers a greater sense of confidence. 
but you should be concerned as a consumer. And this is just a, it's a neat product and it cleans wheels really well. But imagine if it was a, a baby toy or a nutraceutical or something like that. Or I heard of a flotation device for disabled children recently that had knockoff problems. Products like that could really kill somebody. And there's going to be a comeuppance with Amazon, I believe, um, as this all gets figured out, because they are a consumer-focused company and they do want to have good products, but their behavior recently has not been encouraging that. I thank you for sharing that. And what is astounding out of all this is your demeanor and just how you deal with it Well, I have to thank our customers as well. Um, What we've found is that we have a cadre of customers who really, really do like the brand and they really enjoy the product and they go to bat for us. So these guys creep out of the woodwork now and again, and they, our customers will comment on social media and say, these guys are fake. You need to buy the real one. Um, This one's a junk. This one's junk. You really need to try the real brush hero, et cetera. So that's the objective in a consumer product company to build a a following like that, where there's, there's reciprocal trust. Thank you for all that, Kevin. Did we finish on trusting your gut? Was there any final words you wanted to say, or do you think that we've covered that? Well, again, I think I have an interesting spin on on trusting your gut that uh, I do trust my gut, but I cheat. It's uh, it's about being informed with uh, having data at your hands and being able to make an informed gut based decision. I believe that the art of business is being able to make decisions with a lack of perfect information. Uh, and that's certainly true in my business as, uh, as with with most others. But I pay a lot of attention to the data that is available. Very good. Thank you. Once again, Kevin Williams, we talked about trusting your gut. His website is brushhero.com. And Kevin, by the way, if someone goes to the website, can they actually contact you if they want to give you some communication? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a contact button there. Um, It will uh, filter through to me. Uh, Contact at brushhero.com. We're a small company. We're uh, we're virtual. We have... um, but I was counting this morning, we have uh, six full-time staff and four uh, part-time staff spread over five states and five different countries. Kevin, thank you so much for spending the time with us. I very much enjoyed it. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you. This has been great. And for my amazing audience, thanks so much for listening. Remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Be righteous. Join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 